This is the Rit Nerds Podcast, episode number three. Really, episode number two, part B. With your hosts, Ron, Nathan, Chad, and Jim. This episode is a continuation of episode number two. We had to cut our original recording into two parts to keep them at about an hour each. On this episode, you'll hear a roundtable discussion between the four of us where we discuss RIT staffing, RIT team positions, tools, and a RIT hoseline. Thanks for listening, and remember, conditions drive tactics. I don't know. We're having fun going wherever we are. I mean, I, 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 I mean, problem solving, problem solving is a huge part of it. I, I, I don't think you can teach that. There are just some people that just do not seem to understand that that's a square peg and that's a round hole. I, I don't get that. And then there's somebody that'll be there, will pull a knife out of their pocket and wheel the square peg into a round peg and just stick <laughs> it in. But yeah. uh, it, it, it's, it is a thing. I, I, I like the supervisory thing that you're talking about, Ron. That's one thing, uh, good, bad, or indifferent. I don't know. One thing my department's always been very good at is uh, officers are hands off. And we are fortunate because we have manpower. We have lots of rigs showing up. If, if dispatch thinks there's a chance there's a fire, we got four heavy apparatus, which means four trucks with pumps, four person on every single pump, a battalion chief, and a standalone three-person medic showing up within five minutes. And then if there's actually confirmed a fire, we've got another 10 people coming. Another battalion chief, another two heavies. Like, it's it's manpower heavy. So we've always had officers are nothing more than just like a tick. And they let their workers work and they can take that big picture in because we tunnel maybe in towards a task. But I would say then going back to like what James is saying though, you one of the big differences between a good officer and a bad officer in my uh, in my experience is if a firefighter or notices something, a good officer's gonna take their suggestion and build it into their plan. And a bad officer is just gonna keep going with whatever they went with in the first place, no matter what anybody sees or says. Um, yeah, every day. So it's kind of good to have both. Right? Yeah. Um, well, go ahead, Ron. Well, I was gonna say, you know, talking about the positions, you know, it, in the past like year and a half really, we've introduced team positions for the RIT team. So you have that specific job requiring you to carry that specific tool or device or you know what have you. And that is really streamlined um, operations. You know, usually we get to a down firefighter and next thing you know, there's six hands on the guy's face. And it's like, well, you, you all can't touch the same thing. There's only so much real estate there, you know? So, you know, breaking into those teams positions and really giving them their task oriented job has helped us tremendously in, in time and in energy and in control of the environment or control of the situation. So, you know, I don't know if you guys have adapted into that or what's that? Oh, I was just saying, it's funny, Ron said that about the million hands. Was, my last shift before holidays here, I was doing some packaging drills with uh, a young guy that was working with us. And I told him, I said, just that. I said, it's real easy. You're just doing this on me right now. You're blacked out. And it's just you packaging me 
but you'll find the minute that everybody else gets involved, it becomes a cluster. Oh, yeah. And I will almost always tell everybody, hey, I've got the patient, I'm packaging, hold off for a sec. I'll call you over when I'm done. For right. that exact reason, there's so many hands start getting in there. Next thing you know, you're going for a strap you put somewhere and it's being moved. Somebody else is yanking on it. And it's just, <laughs> yeah, you're loosening it and they're tightening yeah. it and you're just, you know, making, just killing time, you know? Yeah. Um, we, uh, we started doing stuff with the RIT positions a few years ago. Um, honestly, I think even when I got hired and I've been in for a little over 12 years, um, we were in that mindset if you if you're writ and we get deployed you're the recon you know you're the um search firefighter this person's the air pack firefighter this person's going to be uh, a secondary search firefighter slash the search line you know bring the tagline in and the officers you know the supervisory thing um <clears throat> i'm i like that uh but Again, as my time has is uh, as I've had more time in the department, um, especially where I am right now, I'm a relief officer, so I float around. So I work with crews that I know, and I work with people I don't know. And on you know 30 minutes into the day, I have no idea what their skill sets are. So uh, I have to do a little more micromanaging than I like to do with some crews just because as, the way I explain it to them is like, look, you guys, I'm putting each one of you guys inside a box and until I know you and we, we know each other and can trust each other, your box is very small, meaning you don't get a lot of leeway from me, especially if you're newer. Um, right. As we work together, that box is going to get bigger and I'm going to allow you to do more things without you know, me keeping a close eye on you and I expect that you can manage yourself. Um, with the RIT position, the way our system is set up and, you know, Nathan, you talk about getting four heavies with four people. Our residential structure fire assignment is four engines, two ladder trucks, a heavy rescue, a medic, two battalion chiefs, two EMS supervisors, and a safety officer. And if it sounds like a working fire meaning someone a second caller or their smoke or fire showing or they see a header in the sky we start a writ task force which brings another engine another rescue or truck and another medic unit and typically it brings another safety officer and another chief that just wants to add on and come play um <laughs> end up with a lot of people there very fast uh which can be almost as bad as not having enough people um, our initial writ is our fourth engine to be dispatched or our fourth engine to arrive. So in our world, uh, the way I tell them is we have uh, hose packs, right? Um, we have our, they used to be, we used to call them high rise packs, but we stopped calling them high rise packs or trying to just call them hose packs. So people can think that we can use them outside of high rises. We use them every day. We use them all over the place. They're fast. It's easy to get a hundred feet of hose wherever you want it, especially if you're uh, a, um, recovering from, you know, uh, something changed as you're doing your 360. You know, you got a charge line to the front door and you notice it's a basement fire. You got to walk out on side Charlie. It's very easy to deploy a hose pack back there instead of having to tr drag 
150 feet of charged hose line back there. I only have to drag 50 feet and connect it in. Um, right. What I tell my crew at the beginning of the day, if I don't know them, is we're an engine company. When we run fires, if we're writ, if we're fourth, bring our hose packs with us. Uh, that way we have hose. If we need it, we know where it is. It's on our shoulders. It's uh, wherever we drop it up at the fire scene. Um, that, you know, we don't have to go looking for anything if we decide to, to put it in. It keeps them thinking about water. And then we bring a, a small set of, you know, a set of irons. I bring the camera. We all have a flashlight. And uh, they grab the rip pack and maybe a search line. Um, and then we kind of go from there. Like, hey, uh, if we're going to take a line in, obviously you're the nozzle firefighter. I'm next to them or behind them. And the backup is it's just like a normal hose line. We're going in to search. Um, we, you know, typically I leave my driver with the rig. Um, I've been on too many fires where uh, the fourth engine's driver comes to make up the fourth crew member of the RIT and we end up without a secondary water supply in a case where we needed one. So my instructions to, the, to my driver for fourth is uh, I want you ensuring that we have a secondary water supply and help the first three drivers figure out any problems that they have just go, you're, you're basically my writ for water, right? Go be a senior driver and make sure that we have water for this fire. Um, that's kind of the way I look at that. They're helping the scene by ensuring we have the one thing we can't do without, right? We, we need that water. Um, so my, my writ, initial writ, we're typically operating in a crew of three. Uh, which makes it a little easier for me actually to manage. You know, people, we talk about uh, the span of control. What, what's that, like three to seven, five being optional, or um, not optional, optimal. Uh, in zero visibility, and I'm yep. sure you guys agree, any more than trying to manage three people other than yourselves, and it goes to shit. Uh, yep. Because by the time the telephone game happens and you talk to one person over here, and two people over there, they could be in two different directions down a hallway and you're never going to see either of them again because they each move fast and we're now 50 feet apart. Um, so having, you know, if, if you have, uh, I noticed like our heavy rescues, they work in a crew of four. A lot of times they split into two crews of two and it's just easier. It's easier to manage them. They manage themselves better because they're not, they move faster. Um, they're too slow as a four person crew. And now you try and do that as a writ in a small structure where you're bringing all this stuff in, it gets, it gets cumbersome in there. You know, it gets hard. Uh, with three, I've found that if we're bringing a hose pack or I'm sorry, if we're bringing the rip pack, we can do that with three. If we're trying to move the hose then we can do that, we can't do both. We can't move a charged hose and bring a rip pack with us. That's just not going to happen with that crew of three. And if right. we are doing it, we're going to be extremely slow. I'd rather uh, grab another set of hands or another crew and say, Hey, you're, you're moving with us uh, or we're moving with you, but we're not attached to you. I don't know if that's, that helps at all. <laughs> no, no, no. Down the I'm rabbit hole. Really in He's frozen right yeah, now. That's there he is. We, uh, there we, he is. Well, we do positions as well. Uh, there you go. 
we we do positions as well. We'll do what we call the officer position, which is typically with the company tools kind of getting into that. We'll carry a tick and the search rope so that they lead the way into the structure, lead the way to the down member. Um, obviously, if a line goes in or something, the rope's not going to come. But without that, then that's what they have. And then there's tool firefighter one, tool firefighter two, who are kind of you're supposed to be your good air consumption, heavy movers, the guys that clear the way, do most of the dragging, the packaging, everything else. And then the air firefighter at the back with the air unit um, coming up in charge of keeping that airway for, for the down member and supplying the airline. It's typically how it'll work. And if we drop from four members down to three, then we just lose tool firefighter number two. And then you just have officer taking search line, uh, tool firefighter, and then the air firefighter. And we'll, we will have a 150 foot uh, rescue rope bag for anything that's like through the floor or anything. That tool firefighter would bring that in with them as well. So for, for me, I'm basically almost kind of with you guys. We, we try to run six guys when we go on our recalls, you know, so that, that includes the driver. We try to make sure the driver of our rescue going on that recall is RIT certified. So they go inside <coughs> or be beneficial outside, knowing what we really want for that job, you know. Um, but we utilize four positions, you know, a team leader is basically your officer. You have um, your extrication person, which is like entanglement, and we carry the fast board. Um, and then we have our air guy and then a rope guy. You know, a rope guy usually brings that 150 foot or so we can make it two to one or high point outside. You know, and with that four man setup, we usually leave two people outside or, or are starting to now. So we have somebody that, God forbid, we need something, you know, um, a floor jack or something, God forbid, they could run and grab it. So we try to break it up that way. Or if we need something, you know, more air or something like that, you know, something's wrong with the rip pack or God forbid, yeah. you know. Well, it's so, but we try, we try to travel light, you know, Halligans and rope bags and rip bag in the fast board. You know, there's no axes really going into the building. No saws really coming into the building, you know. First of all, smoke condition chokes it out, you know, stuff like that. So besides hand lights and the tick, that's really guys don't have much in their hands. You know, we try to make everything portable with a strap. Yeah, we um, we're uh, we're about the same with that. You know, if we are deploying, it's very, you know, again what's the basis the basic thing that we have to do in there and that's keep the guy alive right we either have to take the heat away or bring them air um, and then everything after that we can work on if they're trapped in a pin cool we made contact we're sustaining life this is the list of things i need start bringing them to me and we'll start working to get them out right to me, the most important thing is finding and sustaining life. And that's what that initial writ to me means. Is that's why I go back to the air pack and the hose line, especially um, because of that, you know. And so let me let me run a scenario past you guys, right? You guys both put, put yourselves on a writ crew. Um, you've responded in. 
you're in the middle of, uh, you know, you've been on scene for about five minutes, you've got the equipment you need, and you hear a big kakush or whatever a floor collapse sounds like. Um, and before you even hear the mayday, 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 uh, you look and see you've got fire coming out of basement windows. You saw that pressurized smoke, you know, and, and stuff push out of the structure. So you know something fell through. And you're like, we have fire downstairs. We have fire on the first floor. And now I'm getting a mayday that we had members fall from the first floor into the basement. As a RIT crew, what, what do you guys, you know, I know what, what your answers are going to entail, I think, but what are some of the first things you're going to do? Get eyes on the area. You know, I, I like when I, when I, um, and in charge of, and in, in charge of the team, I, when guys do 360s, I like to send two guys at a time to do 360s. Okay. You get multiple eyes whatever they're looking at. So if I could send my officer or senior man and somebody else to that area of the collapse and start getting eyes on it and maybe even make a simple contact via voice to somebody down there, you know, that's a big help. Um, and then obviously radio communications directly to the rest of the team. So it's a building too. You know, if I'm going in a raised ranch or if I'm going in, you know, a three wood or if we're in a commercial building, so Let, let's say that the for sake of arguments we're in a two-story single family dwelling with with a basement so uh, yeah i would walk out I would, basement at the back it, it is yeah it is not it's it's one of your okay it, it's just uh you have basement windows but you don't have a walkout uh anywhere around yeah i i still think i would start with getting eyes on the problem and try to do verbal communication um, and then, you know, deploy from there. Cool. Well, deploy the rest of the team from there. Nathan, you, what are you, you pretty much in line with the same stuff? Uh, I mean, you got to have an idea where they are. I mean, obviously, um, heavy fire, there's going to be hose lines and stuff in place. I mean, everything, I mean, back to that old saying, conditions drive tactics, it's going to depend where the rest of the fire ground is too. If, if our searches are complete and everything else, and this is now our main body of fire, then really the only priority of the job now is to put the fire out and rescue our own because there's nothing left to do besides put the fire out and rescue our own. Um, if you've still got searches to go on the second floor and vests and everything to happen, then that's going to change things a little bit in terms of how many resources you have. But knowing their location, if I can make a grab through one of those basement windows with some water application and they're somewhere near that basement window and I can go down through the window and push them back up through that basement window to the outside, then that's going to be a real fast and easy way to, to access them. But if they're stuck in the middle of the room under that floor somewhere, well, stuff's going to come different as well. But I mean, like you say, I mean, if you've got fire coming out of every window, then water's going to need to play for sure it's, in order to make contact. Obviously, you know, it's kind of a, of a loaded question for me because I, I, I the question is driving the point I wanted to talk about, which is, you know, is it, and obviously you brought it up, Nathan, 
Um, so I've thought about this one, and, and this is one of the reasons I like that charge toes line if you can have it. Because while a lot of other things are falling into place, in this scenario, if I see, you know, that guy may have gone through in the Charlie quadrant, and we are looking at the alpha quadrant of the basement. But if I have fire coming out of that alpha quadrant window, I can tell my rich firefighter right now, get water in that window. And we know that on a straight stream, get it in there and start hitting the ceiling, you know, as best as you can. We are not going to make it any worse for them. You know, we're going to start hopefully making it better. Maybe it won't change because we're such a distance from them. But while I'm gathering more information and really looking at how we want to deploy, I can at least start trying to make that situation a little better for them, you know? And that, that's yeah. the, when I have people who, who really argue intensely about having a, a hose line um, in, in the RIT cache or, or as RIT, that's the scenario I kind of play out to them is, and even put it in as simple as this, this person went through in the alpha quadrant and you're looking at the alpha quadrant. You have fire through those windows. Um, is your RIT team prepared to make a difference right now? Or are you going to try and go in and find them, but you got to call for another engine company to bring a line for you. And usually I can get people at that point to go, ah, it probably would be a good idea to have one with us. Um, you got me because my experience, you know, I, I could honestly say we've only had a hand line once on all of the brick calls we have gone on. Um, and that's because it was a backup line just left outside. You know, we never had, we never really go for a dedicated line. Yeah. And my train of thought with the question is knowing that there's a collapse and fire has changed conditions, you know, in certain parts of the building, that would be the IC or the operations chief to make that call to have another hills line deployed. As yeah. a team, we could request that. But knowing my game plan that we almost never have that hand line, that's why I don't put it into play. I gotcha. I, um, you know, my dad, my dad's a firefighter and I'm, I'm, I'm lucky enough that I'm a third generation firefighter. So all grown up, you know, I got to ride the ding dings as a little kid, which was great. Um, <laughs> but my dad and I, you know, we go back and forth and just the other day we were talking uh, actually, yesterday we were talking. He's getting ready to do some RIT training at his department uh, this springtime. Um, but I remember something he said to me. Uh, this is probably a couple years ago. And he's like, man, back in the 70s, before we had all this cool terminology for stuff, you just always had an extra hose line at the front door or in the front yard, charged and ready to go. It was your backup line. You could have one line operating. You'd have one line ready to go. And when that line got deployed, you would get another line ready to go. You may have five lines operating, but you were, you were going to have a sixth line ready to go. So yeah. if you needed it, it was ready. When you said that to me, and in our system, because our initial writ is an engine, I was like, when I do our math, right? And, and again, in our system, our math is fairly easy. We show up with four engines and three special services. If I take that fourth engine, which is a writ, and say, don't bring a hose line, I've taken an engine company and turned them into a special service, right? Now, 
we say that our priority is putting the fire out, but where do we have our resources allocated to a priority? We have over here with yep. non-water. And then say your Mayday crew or your, your crew that was uh, caught in the collapse is an engine company. 50-50 if they're still functional or not. So now we're down to 50% of our firefighting capability, but our search and rescue side is pretty good. But if we can't put the fire out because we're down, you know, what good does it have or what good does that extra search crew do? Right. Um, and when the he was talking, exactly, yeah. When he was talking about uh, that extra hose line, the way I look at our RIT crew right now, our fourth engine is you are the fourth backup line. You're the fourth hose line. Um, and as a RIT task force comes in with a, with a truck or heavy rescue, and we have a, a functioning RIT now, uh, you know, 12, we have, three, six, uh, 10 people in RIT at that point with your two engines and that, then, then we have our own engine companies at that point. We're, we are our own, basically our own task force. We can do whatever we really need to. I got a search right. team and I got hose lines. Um, and, and that's the nice part about having that expanded RIT. And he was talking about how their jurist, their county runs mutual aid with the other volunteer departments and kind of what you're talking to Ron, where uh, they get special requested to be a RIT crew. And for a long time, they just took their rescue. But what their whole battalion agreed on was we don't want the rescues anymore. Bring an engine company with some RIT tools on it because too many times they were getting caught where we have manpower, but we don't have the water. And it, right. it fluctuates for them because a daytime response, they may be the writ, but they may end up being the second engine on the scene because it's a daytime fire for them and they just can't turn the people over. Um, we've had that. We, uh, we've had where we're, we're right behind their tanker and we're helping stretch the first line in the door. Yeah. So we're not written anymore. We're actually fire attack. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it, it's, so I, I, when I, yeah, like I said, when I run into people who are, that don't like having that charged hose line, that's the scenario I give them to see. Because for us, and, and I get it, every jurisdiction operates a little differently. You have leeways or you don't, and your communication between your chiefs, it's all different. Um, right. It shouldn't be that different, but sometimes it is. Uh, for us, um, when the when the chief says – writ deploy uh it's 50 50 between some of them that actually have an idea of what they want you to do and other ones that are just like oh this is bad i told my writ to deploy they're going to solve this problem for me and that's where i just kind of thought like i'm gonna start using what i think is the best situ or um best solution to this problem and if they don't like it then I'll get in trouble and we'll deal with that, you know, later. And, right. uh, you know, I'd rather act a little aggressive than be too timid and uh, deal yeah. with the, the weight on your shoulders later. Yeah. Yeah. I totally get it. You know, I, it's, you know, like they say soften the building. I'm like, well, we're doing more damage. I don't care. Yeah. The door really like what's the insurance going to insurance company's not gonna call up my chief and be like why'd you take all three doors on the charlie's guy yeah you know like, 
you're being proactive in a, in a, in a way that's beneficial for everybody, you know, as long as you're doing it right. So through the lock, <laughs> I got to carry just, my rec stool now, right? I just saw that pop up. <laughs> is, uh, Great officer is, uh, tool. What's um, <laughs> the old tool? Well, I want to go back to uh, one thing you hit on earlier is those team positions. And, uh, you know, what you said to your guys at the beginning of the shift is, you know, you're going to work in this box because I could trust you in this box, you know, having these drills and um, collecting the data yeah, as an officer or, officer or senior man is knowing, putting the people in those positions, whether it's air, extrication, rope, that people are good in those positions, that they're comfortable, that their skill set lets them evolve the evolution. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? Yes. Yeah. I yeah. Think set, setting the team up for success is starts like on the way to the call. For sure. Um, yeah. Do like you said set them up for success? You would you you know there's if they're not good at a certain skill set, then we have time to train on that, but it might not be on the fire call, you know, <laughs> that might not be the best time. Now it is always good training. Fires are always, this is the best training you can have, but Absolutely. you have to weigh that in mind. Like, am I setting us up to have a difficult time because I want this person to get some type of experience or can I replicate this experience at the firehouse or at the academy? And as uh, Grossman says, create a pre-combat veteran right. by making some difficult training environments and running them through the paces. And that's where I see uh, generally as a fire service, we can do more, which is train a little bit harder. Yeah. But yeah, that, no. yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say that when I tell them that it's typically like um, I'll have a rookie, a red shield and be like, look, man, uh, I expect by the time I get back from my 360 that the door, the front door is open and controlled. Uh, if it's someone that I've worked with for a while, but like I expect that you've opened and opened the door, you've done a quick six foot search and you've controlled it down on yourself. But, you know, I, I know that that six feet is critical to search as fast as we can because of our victim surveys and the victim where we find them. But at the same time, if I've met this person for the first time this morning and they're a probie and I know nothing about them, I can't ask them to do that with me on the whole, on the opposite side of the structure. You know, right. I'm going to do everything. I'm going to work as hard as I can to get back as fast as I can without sacrificing the things I need to do on a lap. Um, if the backup firefighter and them are working together, then, you know, I trust the backup firefighter because I've, I've known them more than the nozzle firefighter, then, okay, you know, you guys work together, but, um, you know, I can't put somebody in that situation where I come back and they're gone and I have right. no idea where they went and it looks like, Oh, they went into the building. Oh, great. Now we got to go play catch up. They didn't even take a line with them because they taught, they heard me say that searching the first six feet is important. So they left the line outside and took nothing in. That just sets us all up for bad things. Yeah. Nathan, you with us? I'm with you. I just had my cup of tea. 
Was it that white Jack OT? No, man. Tetley's. <laughs> oh. Orange Pico is the only way to go. <laughs> Jack OT is pretty good. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't had it. Is it pretty good? It's good, man. I like it. Actually, uh, I'm going to see Jocko tomorrow night. Oh, really? Nice. Yeah, he's – I don't know exactly what he's doing, but he's playing some theaters live. It's like a two-hour live, not conversation, but he's talking for two hours, and he's in D.C. at the Warner Theater tomorrow night. So a buddy of mine are going uh, down and we'll see what it's all about. And it's only like 80 or $90 for the ticket, and you get a copy of his new book. Uh, when you get there really yeah i was like yeah, this is a great deal because the muster i'm actually going with 100 bucks or something yeah i'm going with uh nick esposito to jacko coming up sometime soon all right on the 16th i don't know where we're going now i just probably the, the same, same thing, thing. 75 yeah. bucks all right yeah. that's cool man yeah it's, uh um i mean i don't think it can be bad <laughs> <laughs> well we kind of went all over the place we talked about hose lines already yeah. um the other ones we were talking about was uh tools but uh we kind of already went through all that as well we we're talking about personal tools company tools um uh one thing we talked about so we talked about personal tools sort of what's on your person um being important for uh, RIT. We all kind of talked about that already. Just the fact that you're more likely to be RIT in inverted commas um, when you're not assigned to RIT. So being able to do those functions with your uh, tools you have on you every day is, is, is huge. Um, when we talked about the company tools, what we carry with our positions and everything like that. Now, one thing about that, so we talk about those company tools your your search lines and stuff like that when when do you assemble those tools and where do you where do you put them and what do you do with them so like for us uh that's that search rope the rescue rope the air unit the iron the tick um the minute you're assigned writ you get them and that's it and then like i said before uh those are on you forever no, no matter what you're doing you're carrying that stuff around so you can deploy with it at any point in time um from any part of the fire ground uh but uh and then when it comes to the almighty tool tarp um we'll only leave what we would call specialty tools on that so uh we collect our specialty tools after our 360 so after we've done our 360 we've had a good look at the fire and the building type we determine anything we might need above and beyond our company tools that we already have on us. And those will assemble to the tarp. Um, so whatever those might be. One of my favorite things I like to see on there is just a attic ladder, scissor ladder, 10 footer. Um, it can sure make the 42% of uh, maydays with spawns for the roof and spawns for the floors. Real simple if the guy's okay um, to just have that attic ladder. But uh, yeah, and that and then that for for us would come into play with that writ dedicated hose line comes out when you're doing the specialty tools as well to be positioned. We mark it with just a velcro strap that says writ on it, goes on the bale, and then another one at the uh, engine itself. 
just marked so nobody knows to touch that line because um, it's dedicated for that. So all other lines needed get pulled from the truck. Nobody can just take that one and go. Not a bad idea. Um, for us, we have a writ specific compartment. Um, the only thing that's not in that compartment is our Stokes basket and our saw, or saws, I should say. Everything else is there. Um, passport, rip pack, your search rope, your, um, our two to one rope, and then usually we'll strip um, ladders from other rigs that are on scene, and we try to get one ladder on each side of the building. But I do like adding in the uh, folding ladder. That's a home run idea. Um, that really hasn't come into much play for us. So, and uh, I mean, you guys could hate me for it, but throw that damn tarp out the window. I hate the thing. <laughs> you guys are like, don't forget the tarp. I, I'm like, all right, how about you turn your SCBA bottle on first and then yeah. we'll, we'll worry about the tarp. And honestly, what we I use agree. the tarp for. What's that? I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> what we use the tarp up here for <laughs> in you know New England, um, unlike Canada, we have snow, and uh, we cover <laughs> the Brit stuff with the tarp. I like that. Fair enough. Uh, so we don't have tarps. Um, so the RIT tarp, we never really adopted, but our, our RIT equipment is carried on our, our uh, special services, and there is a RIT compartment with a nice little green Maltese on the outside. Our previous version of RIT pack, just a short rabbit hole, was one that Fairfax County designed. It was not a Scott RIT pack, and it was great. It was light. It was easy to move. Uh, when we upgraded to the new uh, air packs three years ago, we just went wholesale and went with the rip pack three. Um, and uh, since then, Scott's come out with what the fast pack, the fast attack. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. great. I really wish we could go to that. But right now we're just trying to turn the big ship and uh, we already have the, the rip pack three. So they're not going anywhere for a while. Um, yeah. Same boat. But uh in there, so we have the Rip Pack 3. We have um, a search line with uh, a couple taglines on it uh, so that the engine company that shows up as a RIT can, has a search line. Cap you know, they're capable of using it. They're not scrounging for equipment. Um, and it has the pack tracker in there, which uh, we won't even talk about that today. <laughs> um, I was going to say, no, no, I don't we've want got a pack tracker. Wasted time. <laughs> Um, whole another conversation yeah. yeah yeah i think yeah short answer is uh it's nice to have but uh we don't use it very much it's um, like the hot stick do you trust it yeah no yeah i don't trust it <laughs> um it, it, it reminds me of that game you used to play as a kid where your parents would hide something and they'd tell you you were hotter or colder yeah pretty much <laughs> oh yep. getting warmer oh yep. getting warmer oh colder uh you're completely going the wrong direction yep yep um all the saws and stuff are uh just truck company or rescue company saws um and that's why our writ task force response now comes with uh with a trucker or heavy rescue because they're they're bringing some of their own saws with us so we're not stealing them from the trucks that are actually trying to do work with theirs um right fortunately our trucks and rescues typically their minimum is two chainsaws two rotary saws so on the first alarm you're ending up with 
uh, six chainsaws and six rotary saws between the first alarm. So you typically can find somebody's chainsaw that's not being used. Um, and then uh, we, we gather that. But like I was saying, if I'm on the initial writ, if I'm on the engine company as we're walking up, uh, I got my firefighters are bringing the hose packs. Uh, when they get there, they know that the first two things that they are doing while I go talk with command is they are grabbing the writ air pack, the writ pack three from one of the special services. And then their next step is to find an engine company, talk with the driver and either deploy one of their hose lines or uh, in, by asking them, do you have water to supply a writ line? If they don't, you know, the first engine typically doesn't, you know, they got three lines off already. That's not a good choice. Um, if the, the next engine that's closest by only has one line off, they'll, that's where they'll go to. But they know to go talk with the driver and make sure that they can actually supply it and then uh, get it in a service. If we don't have to use our hose packs, we don't because it then leaves us the uh, ability to be fluid and move rapidly to the other side of the structure with that line if we need to. Um, and then from there, uh, basically while they're doing that, I've talked with command, uh, let them know where we're going to be. And uh, they give me some, you know, they fill you in on some other information, let you see where people may be operating that you've missed. I take a lap, go back, and then the two firefighters at that point take a lap. And then uh, from there, um, we will probably go grab a chainsaw. That's about the only extra piece of equipment I ask them to grab at that point. Um, everything else, uh, again, if we get deployed, I know that there's a writ task force that's close by. They're either in route or they're on scene and walking up or they're with us. Um, so my, the way I view my function as that initial company is to stop the bleeding, either take the heat away or get the air to them. And then if they're trapped, we have more people outside that I can communicate with, let them know what we really need in here and have them start moving our direction. I like it. Yeah. I, I, a little quick side tangent. Uh, I only got to play with that Scott Fastpack uh, in conference hall in Pensacola Beach when I was down there oh, two years ago now. Have you guys got to actually use it at all or play with it? The fast pack, yeah. Actually, Scott had a fast pack out before um, the Rip Pack Three came out. Um, with the Rip Pack Two, the blue bag one, yeah, there was a smaller version <clears throat> of that blue bag one with a long um, regulator hose. Okay. And it was it was compact, thirty minute bottle. The thing was light. It was maneuverable, and it had one pouch. You know, so you knew what you were going after. Yeah. Um, but I uh, I saw those up in Harrisburg, and I played with them for a few minutes, and they're so much lighter, so much maneuverable. You know, so better, like, so much better. Yeah. You know, I, I've well, talked to. go down. Sorry. What's that? Oh, so those fast packs can go down to a 15 minute bottle if you want right, right? yeah as yeah. long as you specify it which is it's kind of cool you know what i mean like you really could adapt it to what you need yeah um talking to gary lane a little bit about the rip pack three you know just even taking out where the mask is like if you cut one of those walls out be a little more room to work in there it would just make that pack just a little bit better but i yeah. mean 
44 pounds, it's a little ridiculous. Yeah. You know, uh, again, I go, <laughs> it's funny. So before the rip pack, before we bought the rip pack three, I remember being in Harrisburg and Scott was there demoing it at their booth. And my dad was talking to him and he asked him like, Hey, uh, so how do I get the bottle out of here? And they're like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, uh, I find my guy. I want to hook him up and move, but I want to take this whole damn thing with us. How do you do that? And they're like, well, you can't. And he's like, well, that's a joke. And he, he took him down. Um, he, uh, you know, he, he put him through the ringer a little bit and, that was the first time I saw uh, a large company like Scott uh, where you really see how rigid they are with our customers. Um, since right. then, I've seen it a lot with a couple different manufacturers, uh, you know, two of them with air, uh, where they really don't listen to the end users. They just, this is what we have. This is what you can buy. And that's it. Like, I, how about this? I like this idea. Like, no, we don't do that. Okay. I just want to put this example yeah. out there. I, I like Elkhart Pass. They listen to their end users and look at where their game is at right now. Oh, yeah, dude. They, yeah. If people aren't picking totally. up what they're putting on as a business idea, yeah. then sell so your business. Yo. You think about them 10 years ago, where were they? They were, they were falling way behind uh, Task Force and Akron. And now uh, they stopped trying to sell their equipment and started talking to their users yep. and starting putting information out there. And that the whole was the brass tacks, hard facts thing. Um, by getting end user buy-in, you know, those guys are selling the shit out cart brass and you know have a product then and it if you have a product then the marketing is only helping you expose it it's going to sell right it's not like you're trying to sell garbage they're selling good product but it's not even their marketing they're they're producing a better product because of what they're getting true yeah you know so and i it drives me nuts because we spec out apparatus we buy fire gear such as rip packs you know you know Oh, this has to be here. Or this has to be there. Well, are you the one that's getting off the truck and using it? Yeah. Like, that's what really drives me nuts. We, we, I try to say as much as I can. And the end user matters more yeah. than anything. Because I'd rather have a ladder come out of a ladder truck in vertical than flat. And, you know, but I have a chief that has 30 years on saying, well, they're going to go out flat. Well, chief, I'm sorry, but you're not one taking the 28, 35, or even the 24 out by yourself so yeah. what do you want yeah. you know and it's just amazing that yep. we have such a, a wide variety of, of equipment and yet we're still focused on you know this is the way we say it is like you said they're so rigid they can't see past what they really need or yeah you know what can be beneficial to them yeah oh yeah um it's frustrating as an end user but yeah Oh, it's absolutely frustrating. <laughs> I uh, I had a question for you guys, but I can't remember what it is now. Um, I don't know. If you guys start talking about something else, maybe I'll think about it. You know, so. what's, what's freaking crazy? I'm sitting at the gym this morning. My wife and I are, are there. and 
uh, she's in one of her classes and I'm on the, the floor and I look up right, and it's Sunday morning. So what's on the TVs at the gym? It's uh, it's ESPN and uh, and they're they're going over the games from last night. I'm like, can you imagine if we spend as much time focusing and reviewing the things that we did on the fire ground and the training ground as we spend like our individuals, our firefighters spend more time watching ESPN talk about a football game from last night than they want to spend watching themselves perform to get better. Right. You know, if, if we spent that time and effort trying to make ourselves better, imagine the fire departments we would, we would all work in or all right. Well, ride in, you know, or be a part of. Prime thing on top of that. So I was at work one day and, uh, something came up and I gave, gave him the numbers and, and stuff. And, and I think I referenced an NFPA or something. It might've been talking about nozzles because of anyways, getting into department politics, but I referenced 1710 and uh, they're like, ah, you and your numbers, blah, 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 blah. It's so ridiculous. You know, all those stats are so useless, blah, blah, blah. This is that morning coffee there, right at rig checks. So transpire now to lunchtime. And we're sat down, we're having lunch, and uh, hockey game's on. And the same guy proceeds to tell me the height, weight, and goal scored of this person. (laughs) (laughs) What team they used to be on, how many assists they have. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) You're borderline a stalker at this point. To know that much about a stranger is enough for them to get a restraining order on you. <laughs> but me knowing what is the industry standard for flow on our lines is a bad thing. <laughs> it's crazy. But yeah. You know, I, I've, I've kind of ran into some same situation. You know, our, our RIT class is three days long, you know, and, you know, the last class is on Sunday, usually, the way it falls. And they're like, yeah, well, we could get home for the football game. Yeah, no, you're here till 4 o'clock. Yep. I got you. <laughs> like, sorry, dude. Like, this isn't a class that you could skip it on. You know, even if you did backflips across the, the floor and pull the guy out with your finger, you know, <laughs> you're still not going 4 o'clock. <laughs> the best part is it doesn't change from fire department to fire department. No, yeah. It's the same thing. So. Same clown, yep. different circus. True. Yeah. True. Well, all right. Is there anything? Yeah. Anything else you guys want to hit on real quick, or is it, we at our time limit here? Well, I'm gonna hit only seven thirty for me. It's a lot later. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Thank you for listening to the Rit Nerds podcast, brought to you by Rit Ops Prepare for Rescue and Adapt and Overcome Training. Stay tuned for more episodes to pop up as we're planning on dropping one to two new episodes every month. If you'd like to support this podcast, please join the Rit Nerds group on Facebook and like and follow the individual pages listed above.